You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. The concept of mountain biking breaking down cultural barriers and bringing together communities is a noble thought. But unfortunately, it would seem that most of the time, mountain biking highlights the divisions within a community. As trail advocates, we constantly deal with concerns from other user groups or what is often referred to as NIMBYs or the not-in-my-backyard types. But today we're going to hear about how mountain biking actually brought two communities together. And what's even more amazing is this took place in one of the most culturally divided places in the world, the Middle East. I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 20 of Frontlines. The conflict in Israel and Palestine is often blamed as a religious dispute between Muslims and Jews that goes back centuries. And that just simply isn't accurate. In the late 19th century, it was the Ottoman Empire that ruled over what is known today as Palestine. And in 1878, the population was 87% Muslim, 10% Christian, and 3% Jewish. And for the most part, everyone lived peacefully. But the world was shifting, and nationalism was beginning to spread in Europe and beyond. During this time, and after what was appearing to be a failing attempt for Jews to assimilate into European culture, the concept of a Jewish state arose. With the defeat of the Ottoman Empire in World War I, the British established a colony in Palestine. And it was this time that the British created separate establishments for Muslims, Jews, and Christians. It was the British attempt at a simple divide and rule strategy. It was also this time that the Jewish population began to increase in the region. And by 1938, Jews made up almost 30% of the region. And at the same time, Arab Palestinians began to view themselves as a Palestinian nation. And there was a failed revolt against the British in 1936. Following the Second World War, the British had decided to essentially walk away from the region. And it was then up to the very new United Nations to make peace. And in 1947, the UN proposed jigsaw-style partition of Jewish and Palestinian nations failed when the 1948 Arab-Israeli War broke out. The Israelis won, and an armistice was signed in 1949. And at that point, Israelis now occupied 30% more land than the 1947 UN proposal. For Israelis, it was the creation of their nation. But for Palestinians, it was a catastrophe known as Nakba making them stateless. And in 1967, war broke out again, lasting six days, and it was known as the Six-Day War. And it gave Israel control of even more of the region, including the West Bank and Gaza Strip. What's often misunderstood is that Muslim, Arab, and Palestinian are not exclusive of each other. Not every Muslim is an Arab, and not every Arab is Palestinian. And Palestinians aren't exclusively Muslim. In fact, there were many Christians in the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO. It's a history that goes back less than 100 years and has more to do with nationalism than religious ideology. 
Now, within the Israeli state, Jews and Israeli Arabs live together. My guest is Ziv Stamper, and he lives in the Haifa area in northern Israel. He's a mountain biker and an involved community member. Hi, Ziv. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. I'm happy to be here. Let's start with the trails. What's the average trail experience for somebody riding in Israel? Well, we have, uh, let's say, two main uh, features of trails, like the official trail, which are uh, most of them built by the National Trust. And they are uh, not uh, very technical. They're mainly flow trails, but but with, with not a high demand of technical uh, skills. And we got a lot of uh, unofficial trails that are more challenging and uh, let's say more for the skilled rider. And who builds these these unofficial trails? Are they they just kind of animal paths, or are there actually folks out there digging and, and building them? Well, it's um, work both ways. You know, you have like uh, animal paths that people go and dig and, and improve, and you have like uh, motocross uh, trails that were built during the years, and there are trails that people go and build from scratch. So you got all kinds, um, some nature trails, like in the desert especially, you have camel trails and things like that that uh, exist for, for centuries. So you, there's a big uh, range of, of trails that you can find. So when you're riding in Israel, you know, I think what comes to my mind is, you know, we must be dealing with like uh, riding like Utah or, or a desert environment. Is that the case or, or is it more varied than that? Yeah, it's much more varied than that because let's say half, half the land is, is desert and the rest is uh, Mediterranean, green, lush, um, a bit dry in the wind, in the summer, but um, it's... Um, green and so you can ride uh, under trees most of the time in, in the mediterranean area of course in the desert uh, where it's dry and hot uh, you'll ride mostly in winter less in the summer or early in the morning you can do even midsummer it depends uh, on the higher places it's cooler even in the summer and you can have a good ride even at that season what types of forest do you have there? Most of the forests were planted actually around 60 years ago as pine trees. Uh, but some of the areas have natural forests, which are like oaks and uh, all kind of Mediterranean uh, vegetation. But most forests are, are planted and that's uh, where the most of the authorized trails are, the National Trust built trails, because they also planted all the forest. They, they own most of the land, the open space land. What was the political climate in the region back in 2015? Well, all along uh, the period since, let's say, independence of Israel, you always had uh, like peaks of, of tension or violence, uh, the wars or things like this. And if, if we focus on two, uh, 2015, uh, around October, started um, in the West Bank. Uh, people were getting more agitated, and and then um, you had it was all 
independent, not organized. People were going and, and stabbing people in the streets, uh, whether civilians or soldiers. Or, and it was very sporadic. You couldn't expect where and when it's going to happen, uh, but it happened on a daily basis. So uh, it built a very tense atmosphere all over the country. Um, and this caused um, tension between Jews and Arabs in Israel. I mean, Israeli Arabs and Jews had uh, started to, to build polarities between them. Uh, it, usually you have the tension between um, that the Palestinians in the West Bank and settlers there or, or Palestinians coming into Israel and trying to to um, commit acts of violence. But this gone beyond that and, and because it became a daily thing and people, you know, you couldn't tell where and when and who is going to, to um, stab because it's something that's can easily be done spontaneously. Doesn't need a lot of preparation or organization. Um, and once it started, um, you had also people trying to stop these people from succeeding in their acts. So people start to shoot other people. You know, it became really like like a scene from a crazy movie. You, you couldn't believe that it was happening all over, all around you. Um, very, very uh, local things. Not, But the atmosphere became all over, uh, very tense. A lot of hatred popped from, from people because of the fear. Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, I mean, our area... It's not known for a, it's a relaxing atmosphere, unfortunately. But a lot of it is what you see on the media, on the news, on the daily news. Most of us don't live on a daily life under this tension. But at that period, I think most people were, were really, it was part of the reality, of the daily reality. Even if they were not involved or it didn't happen around there, neighborhood they they lived under this um this atmosphere and uh, it was more than just hearing it on the news or or it was a real fear that people faced when they just went out of their houses everywhere in october of 2015 uh, what happened a group of of uh, arab israeli arabs from a village of kara which is um, more or less in the center of Israel, they, I think they, they between themselves, they realized that, you know, the, the polarity between these two communities that live actually most of the time in, in harmony yeah, has to be, has to come a change because things were, seems like every day was getting worse and worse. Um, so they um, just, uh, posted on on a Facebook group, a riders group uh, that 
they invite riders to come for a, a joint ride of Jews and Arabs um, in order to, to prove that reality doesn't have to be the way it is at the moment and, and that there is hope for life together. Um, so this ride, um, we were like 25 riders, um, more or less half Jews and half Arabs. Uh, and I think everybody had uh, this feeling, you know, it's, it looks strange now because it's so natural that uh, actually people, different people from different communities meet and, and have good time together. But I think on that first meeting, uh, people came with a lot of, of, of uh, uncertainties. And, and so it, uh, it like proved everybody that there is a... There is something to hope for, and that uh, living together is not just uh, um, something that's been uh, like forced upon us. That we can actually benefit from it. You know, people bringing different cultures, different thoughts, and together it, it just it can be better. It's not it's not necessarily uh, confronting each other, um, and. Actually, after after this ride, we just um, we thought it can't end like this. We, you know, we felt like uh, we want to have a continuation of, of this. So a month later, we we organized um, a ride at at our um, community. And, and actually, on the second ride, it was like uh, quite unbelievable because we were like 60 riders, um, which we, we weren't really prepared for such a mass of riders. It's not just something, you know, few people organize. It's not something official. It's not, it's not something with uh, any uh, outside uh, support. Uh, but but we managed to pull it together, and I think at the end it was nobody felt like uh, with this mass of people that that it didn't work. It, it, we had some people, some riders that came and were not really um, fit for the kind of, of for the level of riding. But so we we arranged a separate group for them and. Uh, we met uh, somewhere along the way and people had coffee together and there was time to talk. And so at the end, even, even when 60 people rode together on, on this uh, almost spontaneous event, um, it was, was really a great success. And ever since then, we try uh, every few months. It depends. Uh, sometimes it's every three months or two months. Uh, to to have an, uh, something in a different community, and uh, for myself, as 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 I'm kind of uh, involved in all this uh, organization, one of the important thing was that that each time a different community community will take uh, responsibility for the event, and it's not organized just by a few people who who uh, keep 
this project going on, but each time a community takes responsibility for the right that they host. Um, so I believe in this in this uh, manner, more people are sharing their the responsibility. It's not somebody who is taking care and I'm just coming to ride, but we, you initiate some kind of responsibility and, uh, and yeah, people just, they, they take it as their own thing, not just something that they take part of, but they are part of it. Mm. Excellent. At these rides, um, you're getting folks from from various different communities. Uh, they're going to perhaps uh, somewhere that they've never been before, uh, a community that they've they've had no reason to travel to before. And and what is the the atmosphere like? Uh, are is it really just a bunch of mountain bikers from lots of different places who may not know each other um, meeting up and and really just riding and and talking about bikes? Or is there uh, a discussion about greater politics, or is that kind of a, a topic that isn't touched? That, that's that's maybe just let's not talk about politics and let's just go ride our bikes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's like um, we we each time we organize one of these rides, we publish on on the Facebook group, and the title is "Let's Ride." leave the politics aside um, and you know people of course they come from various backgrounds they have various political thoughts uh, it's not just being part of a community even within a community you have people with different political thoughts so I mean even if you go to ride with your neighbor you might not share the same political ideas so yeah we rather not bring it up front uh, it's not like it doesn't exist, uh, political differences, but when, when we ride, we, we share this passion for riding and it's, it makes it easier for us to share it and, and, and find the common thing rather than find something that separates us. Uh, that's, we have all over around us things to separate between people, uh, with, between various uh, communities or, or, you know, tribes, let's say, you know, so we, we, we bring this one thing that easily unites us and, and that's the focus of the ride. And then of course, uh, you, you get the time to talk with people and you talk about whatever comes up, you know, you, it's not like you, you shouldn't talk about politics, but it's not the issue. And as riders like to talk about their bikes or their rides, it's natural. It, that's most of the time the subject. Um, and when these rides, you know, they start to create such a kind of a tradition of rides, um, you get to see the same people again and again, and, and you create contacts that are beyond just meeting on this one day of ride and you know becomes a base for friendships so have those outside of the mountain bike community uh, have have they noticed these gatherings um i think 
there was a talk about like having these rights covered by media and things like this. Uh, and I'm, I don't think it's something we shouldn't do, but so far it didn't really um, take place on a, there was once on a, um, I think Arab channel, they had, they meant to send a, a crew to cover an event, but then they didn't. So at the moment, it's it's not something that's beyond the riding community. But but I think even you know if each one of us does something just in a small circle that's around him, uh, with time, this circle will grow and then. Maybe it will take a few years or, or more. I don't know. But I think all the people that are involved, uh, they can see that there is hope and, and people can easily find something that unites them rather than stand. Um, yeah, it's not always just uh, that simple, but... but uh, I find that each time we meet and gather, it's like uh, charging me with with uh, kind of positivity and with hope that that uh, there is future for shared life around this troubled corner, and that it doesn't have to be this troubled corner that it's uh, known for. Um, yeah. Also, I think the media, you know, people. All over the world, they, you know, always when you mention Israel, they always think of what they saw in the in the news last night or last week. When it's always you see all these negative uh, things that you know, like terror or war or things that don't don't sound like a great place. But the thing is, the media, like everywhere, not just here, it likes to cover. The, the things that sell that you know if if you go in a in a quiet and relaxed community it's not really the issue for the news but uh, so you get the impression that everything here is around terror and war uh, while most of the time most of the people here they live life like like anywhere else yeah, and I think I mean, that is something that it's why traveling is such an amazing uh, thing to do. You you get to see not what uh, media describes a place, but to, to see what a place is is really like and what a community is really like. And and so you're you're in the beginning stages of creating a, a tour company, and and why did you decide to to start doing this? Well, I've. Um... <laughs> I have a passion for bikes, like, you know, many of us riders. Um, and I was looking for um, for something to do that will involve um, my my passion and also the, the, op- the opportunity to, to see people from all over the world, to let them see the place where we live, which I think it's it's. It's amazing place. Uh, I wish it was better in many ways, but it's it's it still is amazing. Uh, I mean, 
You know, there's not many places where you can be one day on top of the mountains in the Galilee where it's all green and then you, ri- you drive for two or three hours and you're in the desert or 400 meters below sea level. It's really, I mean, it's, it's unique in many ways. You know, it's a place where religions were born. It's a place with a lot of history. Uh, so it has a lot to offer to people uh, who, who come from different places and never been here. Uh, I think also it's, it's, it's a cultural experience. Um, I think people in Israel are very welcoming. They, they very open. And so for somebody who comes here, it's, it's always a, a strong experience. It's not just a, a holiday. It's, it's, if, if you meet the people, if you see the places, it's much more than just a, a holiday. Uh, you can relax by the sea, but to go and see the places and the people, um, it's, it's, it's an experience. And also on the aspect of mountain biking, we have a lot of, of different um, places to ride. You can come here in the winter. Every day you can ride, even if it rains. It doesn't rain much. It rains on average 30 days a year, uh, with some years, especially in the recent years, where it was uh, below the average. Or you can uh, go in the desert and then watch a flood, which uh, doesn't happen every day. Even people from Israel don't see it that often. So there's a lot you can experience here, um, which is uh, on all, all levels, on riding, on a cultural level. It's, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, um, how should I say? <coughs> It's more than the average uh, mountain bike holiday, let's say, because it's it's not just about it. There is the mountain bike aspect, but there's a lot more around it. Hmm. Very cool. What's your favorite trail in Israel? Mm. Most people would say the Sugar Trail because it's it's a it's an old camel trail that goes uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, it's it's uh, quite thrilling to go from the mountains above sea level to below sea level. It's a very fun trail um, carved by camels on hundreds of years of, of uh, caravans. Uh, but apart of that, there is uh, great places to ride up north, uh, like Enduro trails. Um, the, the main thing we miss here is like long trails that you can find, let's say, in Canada or in Europe or in the States. Out, but it means that you go maybe two kilometers on a downhill at the most, and then you have to climb uphill again. But it's part of the experience. So for folks who are interested in, in biking in Israel, how can they get a hold of you? Well, we, uh, we have a website at uh, www.bikeaway-adventures.com and you can get a lot of information about mountain biking in Israel there. You can contact me through the website and you can learn about uh, the country, what you had to, feature, to offer for uh, 
mountain bike riders. Awesome. And we'll include a, a link in the show notes there. Well, Ziv, I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure for me. When we as mountain bikers think of politics, we often think of what really should be considered trivial, trail politics. They can include names getting changed, features getting dumbed down, or how so-and-so thinks that the local trail association is a joke. But then we look at a region that has actual political tensions, and it's a breath of fresh air to see how mountain biking can be the thing that brings people together. Now I'm going to make some assumptions, and I ask that you please allow me some license. I'm going to assume that if you're listening, then you're a mountain biker. And based on that fact alone, you live a privileged life. I'm not saying that there couldn't be someone more privileged than you, or you don't experience challenges, or you don't work hard to earn that privilege. But as mountain bikers, we need to recognize how lucky we all are. And instead of focusing on the many ways that we as mountain bikers are different from one another, try to first remember how we are part of a global community with a shared passion. And that shared passion means that we have friends in every corner of the globe. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. And you can send me an email or audio file at FrontlinesMTB at gmail.com. Thanks again to Ziv for reaching out and sharing his story. I'd also like to thank Gustav for supporting the show. And don't forget that you can support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, as well as a link to Bike Away Adventures. Next episode, we'll be hearing from Brandon Gallagher-Watson. He's the marketing chairperson at the Minnesota Off-Road Cyclists. And we'll be discussing branding, marketing, and public relations, and how that relates to a mountain bike trail association. Following that will be an episode about building a strong board. My guest will be Ian Jones of the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association. I'm also working on two other episodes. The first about industry and advocacy. The goal is to try to understand how the two can work better together. And the second episode will be about the wilderness. It's a big topic. It's one that I wanna take my time with. And so I'm gathering some pieces for that. If you wanna contribute, please reach out, send me an email or an audio file. More voices, the better. Music is by Lee Rosevere, production notes by Jennifer Pride. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.